Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, sawadikarup, guten tak, ciao, we viva, cat bang, half a day, jai janendra, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace, how, go vegan, nobody seems to know how, nobody knows how, right, peace, how, nobody knows, we know. Go vegan. From the new right left coast of the genetically mutated McNugget Pharmaceutical Vivisection Prison Killitary Industrial Core Poor Nation. In the cheese covered post constitutional bankster bankrupt corruptocracy mocracy criminocracy unchallenged by media mediocrity food born in the NSA NRA uh, USA. Home of Uncle Sam Manella, where they sure do eat a lot of dead animal body parts. And the Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction is shoved down your throat. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And we are live on uh, Monday, July 3rd. Uh, And, uh, I don't know, for the past few days and probably a few more days to come, We have to endure the fireworks. (sighs) Daisy um, just freaks out, you know. So what I do is I turn the uh, fan up high. Have the fan up now, just in case. And uh, I also, for the last few days, I've been blasting, turning the volume full to the max on Radio Bobby. Yes, Radio Bobby was launched just in time to uh, drown out the fireworks, um, you know, on behalf of your beloved dogs and cats and other animals in the family. I don't know, maybe Radio Bobby can, you know, become the the replacement celebration, you know, for, you know, know, declaring your independence, you know, from... uh, I don't know. It's all just the, I don't know, the fireworks. It's, it's just so upsetting to dogs and cats and other animals. And uh, yeah, Radio Bobby, the, the, the music station that animals love because it's created by a vegan. You can go to RadioBobby.com and turn it up really loud and drown out the fireworks. And uh, yeah. Declare your independence from uh, corporate media. Declare your independence from corporate radio stations and corporate music services. Uh, and uh, support your local vegan great music radio station. Globally local. Um, and uh, please, please, please make sure the dogs and cats in your family or wearing ID tags with contact information. You know, sometimes they take off and uh, out of fear from those loud explosive noises. Um, you know, the, the, the same ones that the U.S. makes uh, every day in, in, in countries all around the world. We, you know, we, we, get, we get to know what it feels like for a day or two, and it kind of freaks us out and creates refugees of many species. That's what we do all around the world. Um, 
I don't know, lately kind of realizing that more and more that nothing is as it seems, right? Uh, I don't know. Did we ever really gain our independence from, from Britain? I don't even know if that's the case, right? That's what they say. Um, so here we are theoretically allowed to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, it would be nice if we could pursue life for the animals. Uh, I don't know about... Yeah, we want their liberty too, right? So I, what, what does that even mean, going to a sanctuary? Actually, we bring them into this life uh, under the death penalty and... Uh, there's no pursuit of happiness for them. Um, to me, the pursuit of, of happiness is pursuing a vegan world. That's uh, it's the only way we will ever really respect life and uh, have liberty for all and uh, the pursuit of happiness. So the big news is... Uh, I guess I'll get this from Fox, as reported in Fox News here. Doctors want sugar and cancer-causing foods out of hospitals. Um, I wonder. I wonder what they will, how they will identify such cancer-causing foods. You re remember years ago, the Attorney General, and you know, the big thing was, uh, you know, reduce your intake of saturated fats. And nobody really knew what that meant, you know, because the political pressure is so strong that you can't say don't eat meat, dairy, fish, and eggs in this country. You have to say things that people don't understand, like uh, reduce your intake of uh, you know, saturated fats. So nobody knew what that meant. So everybody said, all right, you know, I'm, I, I, I won't go buy a package of saturated fats. I what do, what do I get? Frozen saturated fats, instant saturated fats. I'll, I'll just avoid uh, buying those packages of food items called saturated fats. So what does it say here now? It says uh, a major doctor's group hopes to put an end to a great irony served up daily at most U.S. hospitals. The food offered there tends to be uh, tends to contribute to obesity, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and cancer, the very same conditions for which many of the hospital patients are seeking treatment. This is uh, interesting. You know, we've talked recently about the closures of McDonald's in various hospitals, even at the, you know, the, <laughs> the Cleveland, the you know, Cleveland Institute there, the famous heart uh, center and a McDonald's. I thought that they were just trying to save on ambulance uh, costs, you know, just jump on the elevator. Um, and interestingly, a few years ago, I was living at a dog sanctuary near Palmdale, California, and uh, don't know how my hand got infected. I think Marley bit me. Um, when I was handing out little treats to everyone, he got my thumb. I don't know if he was fixing the fences or whatever. But anyway, so it got all infected. 
I wound up having to be hospitalized for a few days, and uh, so I was the uh, the weird specimen in the hospital, the vegan, the the vegan that they never see in the hospitals. I mean, they were coming to look at me like I was a freak show, and I'd hear them in the back, you know, going, "He doesn't even eat eggs," you know, "What? He doesn't even eat eggs? What's you know?" So, and. Uh, various doctors would come in and visit me and ask me about my strange uh, life as a vegan and uh, what I would eat. And generally speaking, it was the my visitors who brought me the food that I would eat since I didn't really trust hospital food. But I mean, I said to one of the doctors there, you know, why do you think all the beds are full here? Why, why is everybody here? Look at the food and, and look at the food that you're giving them while they're here. So they they wanted me out of that hospital pretty quickly. I was at the UCLA Medical Center. And, yeah, I guess they don't get vegans in that often other than those who, you know, are being active. You know, they're rock climbing and they break a bone or something. And then they see the vegans. And the nurse was going, wow, I wish I had numbers like yours, you know, t- talking to me about my blood pressure, pulse and all of that. And I said, Oh, you can't have numbers like mine. Just go vegan, you know. And the nurse was, the nurse was like, uh, "What? And give up my meat?" So there you have it. Um, back to this article here, or back to the reportage in Fox News. It says, uh, "Refried frozen chicken patties on doughy white bread, greasy pizza slices that turn the paper." Uh, that turned the paper plate translucent, waxy, flavorless uh, beans poured straight from a can, um, constituting the only vegetable option. Uh, orange drink purporting to have ten percent real juice. So much for a hospital. So much for a hospital being a, a beacon of health. Right, Daisy. So it says here, at its annual meeting on June 14th, the American Medical Association, AMA, House of Delegates, which represents more than 200,000 physician members, issued a policy statement that called for the reduction of sugar-sweetened beverages and processed meats and an increase in the availability of healthful plant-based foods in hospitals. I'm assuming that when they're saying plant-based foods, they're, they're meaning vegan, although I truly have no understanding of what plant-based means, but okay. Um, I think they mean vegan there. Um, it says, under the resolution, physicians and hospital staff are encouraged not only to counsel their patients about the health consequences of a poor diet, but also to lead by example by offering healthier foods at the hospital. Specifically, the resolution states that the American medical... Uh, oh, this is a quote. Okay, okay. Uh, quote. Uh, the American Medical Association hereby call on... Uh, the American Medical Association needs to call on a grammar teacher here, if, that's, if I'm... Okay, so, okay, so the quote, the American Medical Association hereby call on U.S. hospitals. Sure, it's not calls on. I'm 
I think it is. But uh, they're doctors. They're not grammarians. Plus, you can't read a word they write anyway. So who cares about their grammar? American Medical Association hereby call on U.S. hospitals to improve the health of patients, staff, and visitors by, one, providing a variety of healthful food, including plant-based meals and meals that are low in fat, sodium, and added sugars, and two, eliminating processed meats from menus, and three, providing and promoting healthful beverages. So... Uh, it says removing sugary drinks from vending machines and replacing them with water, unflavored milk. Oh, there's a good one. That, that's a good replacement there. Unflavored milk. Yeah, that that'll that'll save the uh, the patients from uh, cancer uh, if they they don't have chocolate milk. They have unflavored milk. Oh, this American Medical Association. Um, all right, I'm quoting from, from you know, what's, what was reported at Fox. Removing sugary drinks from vending machines and replacing them with water, unflavored milk, and unsweetened teas and coffees may be the easiest place to start making hospital food choices healthier, according to the AMA. And, uh, you know, the AMA needs to read the, the China study. The AMA need well. Do doctors get any nutritional education anyway in medical school? So here they are. Here, no, don't have chocolate milk. Have regular cow's milk, dairy, the number one carcinogen to which Americans are exposed. And uh, wasn't the headline of this article that they want to uh, eliminate cancer-causing foods? I don't know. Maybe the chocolate, you know, waters down the <laughs> the carcinogens. No, no, no. It says excessive sugar consumption has been linked to some of the nation's most debilitating diseases and limiting the consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages will go a long way toward helping people prevent the onset of these diseases, improve health, um, improve health outcomes, and rein in health costs associated with chronic diseases, end quote, Dr. William E. Cobbler, an AMA board member who was part of the policy decision, said in a statement from the organization. Uh, so, so it's the sugary, it's the, su it's the sugar that's uh, causing all the, uh, all, all the heart disease and cancer and stroke and diabetes. Or is it just easier to blame sugar and safer than saying, get meat, dairy, fish, and eggs off your plate? The article continues. Yet health experts have lamented for years that hospitals' food options, not just the drinks, are unhealthy, a concept that contradicts hospitals' health-oriented mission. A study published in 2002 in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that more than a third of the top 16 U.S. hospitals had contracts with fast food restaurants to offer their food in the hospital. So in 2002, uh, more than one out of three hospitals had fast food, slash food to make sure the beds continue to be full, right? Huh? 
Similarly, a 2014 study conducted by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM, a nonprofit health group of 12,000 doctors who advocate plant-based diets. And again, I think they advocate vegan, but, you know, plant-based diet, um, from what I understand from forks over knives and, you know, plant-based diets don't eliminate all animal products. I, I don't know why... I have to get back in touch with PCRM, so I, I don't know. Um, it's really hard for me to talk about plant-based diets since uh, they don't necessarily eliminate all animal products. And, uh, you know, now Forks Over Knives supports reducitarianism, uh, saying eat less, eat less meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. Yet Professor T. Colin Campbell on this here very radio show, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, says that animal protein causes cancer and not much of it. And so we're saying, eh, even, go ahead, eat, eat cancer-causing foods, even, even not much of them. Um, and we'll, see, we'll still see you in the hospital bed here. So do I, I'm distracting myself from this article. It says, similarly, a 2014 study conducted by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM, a nonprofit health group of 12,000 doctors who advocate plant-based diets, I think they may advocate vegan, to tell you the truth, found that more than 20% of the 208 hospitals they surveyed housed fast food or slash food restaurants. The same study found that the cafeteria food in these hospitals where the staff eats every day, was dominated by foods that were high in sugar, salt, and cholesterol, such as processed meats. Well, I guess now it's safe to, uh, to blame processed meats since the World Health Organization uh, came out and directly said processed meats cause cancer. So, And then I think uh, it also said red meat probably causes cancer, but okay. So... Um, Says, speaking at the AMA meeting, PCRM President Dr. Neil Barnard compared unhealthy food served in hospitals to tobacco. Quote, a generation ago, the AMA supported doctors who were working to get tobacco out of their hospitals. And that helped everyone, especially those patients who needed to break a bad habit, Barnard said in testimony. Scroll down. Barnard noted that, as with cigarettes, hot dogs and similar processed meats are now known to contain cancer-causing agents. Many doctors and administrators would like to replace them with healthier foods, he said. So uh, let us remember that on the grill on the 4th of July tomorrow, um, when you're, when, when there are hot dogs, you know, it's actually any, any, uh, animal flesh on the grill will form, um, HCAs, heterocyclic amines, uh, which are carcinogenic. So, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, declare our independence from 
such foods, shall we? The Washington, D.C.-based PCRM started a national campaign in 2016 to encourage hospitals to ban processed meats such as hot dogs, which are a choking hazard for children. Several hospitals have since pledged to remove these foods as a result of the campaign. Um, That's right. Hot dogs are a choking hazard. Could get you immediately or get you down the road. And isn't it amazing how uh, pretty much uh, one out of two adults has heart disease, one out of two has cancer. Um, Darn, if only mom and dad had thought about this long ago and, you know, made us vegan. Um, It says the tide may be turning elsewhere as well. A 2015 study published in the journal Preventative medicine reports, preventive medicine reports found that uh, creating hospital uh, gardens for staff, patient, and community can lower rates of obesity in uh, communities they serve and reduce public health disparities by providing more people with easy access to fresh, healthy, plant-based foods. Um, Why don't people say plant foods, then I might understand what they're saying. What is a plant-based food? Is, is, it, is, is it a jar of, of something that has uh, eight vegetables and, and two animal ingredients? I mean, I, I, what's a plant-based food, somebody? Um, more than 100 hospitals have such uh, gardens, uh, the study found. So the... Uh, Day might uh, continuing with the article here. So the day might come when you can go to the hospital to fix a broken leg and not have to return for a hospital food-induced uh, angioplasty. Other policy resolutions announced at the AMA meeting included reducing the consumption of sugary drinks nationwide. Always blame the sugary drinks, you know. Um, and also, it says uh, to, to destigmatize obesity, strengthening vaccine policy, and using the phrase uh, gun violence mitigation in lieu of gun control, among 11 other resolutions. So, uh, okay, so 12 resolutions. I wonder. I wonder where this one was on the list because uh, those sugary drinks, you know, and uh, what's the strengthening vaccine policy, uh, which is what convincing people to uh, inject uh, inject uh, such toxic substances as vaccines. So basically. Uh, we can't de- depend on the medical industry. <laughs> we can't depend upon the medical industry. We-, we should learn that we can't really depend on anyone for anything. We have to depend upon ourselves. And, uh, you know, everybody was all excited that they're, you know, the AMA is saying people are interpreting it a little more strongly than I think the AMA is, is, is saying. Uh, doctors want sugar and cancer-causing foods out of hospitals. Well, if they want cancer-causing foods out of hospitals, they would remove all meat 
dairy, fish, and eggs. But uh, you know, they'll they'll stick with blaming the uh, the processed meats, the uh, hot dogs. They see they don't even have the nerve to mention bacon. Bacon's a processed meat, right? So, uh, I, and people are celebrating. All right, whatever. Whatever. Um, doctors want patients. <laughs> I think that's what the, what, what the situation is. Doctors want patients. And if they all go vegan, um, what will they do? Right? Fred Lundgren, my friend, my radio station owner friend in Texas, who's still alive years after doctors had just given him weeks to live. This is some years back when... Uh, KCAA uh, was about to, well, KCAA was carrying uh, the show, Southern California Station. Fred Lundgren, the owner in Texas, um, I called him one day. He said, hey, Fred, how you doing? He said, oh, but not too well. You don't, you don't know this about me, but I'm, I weigh 350 pounds, and the doctors are giving me just weeks to live, and they're not going to operate, and there's just nothing they can do, and and I said, well, Fred, maybe maybe this is your lucky day because whenever I come across somebody with a problem, I always have one solution. Somebody has a problem like climate change, I have one solution that I recommend. You know, somebody has a, a problem like like war and violence, so I have one solution I recommend. So, so Fred, you're on your deathbed. My one solution is I'm going to advise that you go vegan immediately and that you seek out the work of Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, uh, who, uh, who wrote uh, Reverse and Prevent Heart Disease or something like that. Am I re- remembering this off the top of my head? And that he had uh, some amazing results with people and, you know, it's being found that going vegan seems to be the only way to reverse these uh, health challenges. These health challenges, you know, Professor T. Colin Campbell on this radio program said 80 to 90% of fatal degenerative disease is caused by animal protein and not much of it. So that was my advice to Fred years ago when he was 350 pounds and on his deathbed and uh fred is still alive today he lost weight he's exercising he went back to the his cardiologist the the people in the office there said you know what did you do and uh he said well i went vegan and the cardiologist said don't tell any of my other patients so there you have it and i don't know they can't even they can't even say vegan they i don't know they get lost in this term plant-based. I have no idea what plant-based means. Um, but anyway, there you have it. I thought I was going to be excited about this, I guess. I guess it's... I just don't think we can depend upon anybody for solutions to our problems. We can't really depend upon the AMA or environmental groups and 
you know, from whom do we get truth at this point? So um, I think we just have to depend upon ourselves. And uh, apparently we, we have to depend upon ourselves to go vegan because no politicians, no government, no medical association, no environmental organization is going to do what needs to be done. And we all need to go vegan for, uh, for health reasons. Uh, now we see that in the great state of California, the Democrat government, the Democrat-controlled government of the state of California just killed single-payer health care. So good luck with getting that passed nationally if it can't even be done in California. Those fracking Democrats, I tell you, if there were, if there were a bill for more fracking, you know, bring it on and, uh, you know, our fracking governor, Jerry Brown, would gladly sign it. But when it comes down to single-payer health care, the corporate Democrats can't, uh, can't have any part of that. So we have to take our health issues more seriously and go vegan. And, uh, you know, what, what, what are we doing for the kids Right. What the, the kids today in the future, when they're coming, when they come down with the heart disease and cancer and they look back and think, darn, my mom and dad could have could have done it differently. You know, we we we, we could have grilled vegan burgers. You know, we could have we could have grilled vegetables, you know, instead of on the fourth of July. Ensuring uh, cancer and heart disease. You know, for for all cancer and heart disease for all the pursuit of that's what we have here. We have the freedom to pursue to pursue cancer and heart disease. That's uh, not the pursuit of happiness, by the way. So. So that's right. No, no single payer in California. With the state Senate, state assembly. And controlled by Democrats, the governor, a Democrat. So we must depend upon ourselves. And, you know, uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn said, nobody has to get heart disease. Nobody has to get it. It's all because of diet. And, you know, we're seeing that children ages five, six, seven are already showing signs of heart disease. So, um when are we going to declare our independence from meat, dairy, fish, and egg consumption, right? So, I mean, meat, meat, dairy, fish, and egg consumption has killed more Americans than all wars since the Revolutionary War. So where where is the department of homeland security when it comes to meat dairy fish and egg consumption oh well america 4th of july celebration coming up just turn up the fan and turn up radio bobby turn up radio bobby play it loud Declare your independence. Radio Bobby. Um, at RadioBobby.com, we'll work on getting an app in the near future. I mean, when was the last time, if ever, you heard a great music radio station? And then, if you did in your life ever hear a great music radio station, 
did that radio station play commercials for meat, dairy, fish, and egg consumption? For wearing leather or wool or feathers or for entertainment uh, using animals? Not Radio Bobby. So uh, you can play it loud for the music and... Uh, You'll appreciate what you don't hear also at RadioBobby.com. Okay, so uh, coming up uh, next hour, we will have commentary from Professor Gary Francione. And uh, we'll hear it's our Medical Monday feature uh, with Maccabee. Maccabee burning up the airwaves on Radio Bobby with some of his music. Uh, just a devoted vegan that he is with his songs, uh, Wa Me Eat and Too Much Chicken, a standout music, reggae music from Maccabee on Radio Bobby. Well, I don't see the little button that I need to get the music going and go into the break, so uh, let's imagine that uh, music is coming on now and that uh, we're going into a break and we'll continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. By the way, uh, we do need your financial support to continue what we're doing, whatever that is. Um, we've been doing it for 16 and a half years now. We've been doing a vegan radio program for 16 and a half years. This is the first vegan radio program in America ever to uh, infiltrate mainstream media and... Uh, you know, as heard on the Air America radio network and CBS and Clear Channel radio stations around the country. Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, 501c3 nonprofit. So you can support us with a tax-deductible donation. You can go to the website. The website is goveganradio.com, and you can find the donate button there. And you can also uh, become a subscriber via Patreon and support us for as little as a dollar a month. It's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. On Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And also on Facebook and Twitter at Radio Bobby Music.
Okay, we continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com on Twitter at Go Vegan Radio Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And we have the new uh, Facebook and Twitter pages for Radio Bobby at Radio Bobby Music. And uh, check it out. Check it out. Do something for yourself. I think you're really going to enjoy the music. It's, I know, you feel guilty about enjoying yourself, right? Got to keep doing things for others and feel guilty about when you're having some fun. But I think Radio Bobby is going to make your life a whole lot happier. Nothing wrong with that. Keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, oh, so I, I um, again, with my confusion for what a plant-based diet is, I go to the website of Forks Over Knives, just quoting because I'm, I'm totally confused. I have no idea what a plant-based diet is. In fact, when I have uh, medical professionals or uh, dietitians, authors, chefs contacting me who want to come on the show and talk about their plant-based diet work, um, I have to ask them what they mean because I, I, I really don't know. Here on uh, the Forks Over Knives website, it says, a whole food plant-based diet is centered on whole, unrefined, and minimally refined plants. It's a diet based on fruits, vegetables, tubers, whole grains, and legumes, and it excludes or minimizes it excludes or minimizes meat, including chicken and fish, dairy products, and eggs, as well as highly refined foods like bleached flour, refined sugar, and oil. So I don't really understand. That I'm, I, I'm, I, I will continue to be confused because we're talking about apparently a, a diet centered on plants with minimal, whatever that means, minimal meat, um, chicken, fish, dairy, and eggs. And people didn't want to say vegan. They wanted to say plant-based because they were afraid that when they said vegan, people might think, oh, you know, vegan, that, that doesn't necessarily mean healthy food. That a Vegan, you know, you could be eating potato chips and cookies, so... You know, we we can't we can't say vegan. We have to say plant based, where you can eat uh, meat, dairy, fish, chicken, eggs. Then then it's plant based. So, the dogs and cats in your family can go vegan too. I know that evolution dog and cat food is vegan. I I I don't I don't see it saying it's plant based. And it's not. It's vegan. It's 100% vegan. Oh, and the first Wednesday of the month, like this coming Wednesday, you get uh, extra special discounts when you call 800-659-0104. So you get 20% off on dry food, 10% off canned food when you order the first Wednesday when you call 800-659-0104.
if you're a new customer, you get 25% off your first order of dry food, no matter what day of the month you call. But you do have special price breaks on the first Wednesday. And uh, also, uh, if you have um, you know financial challenges, call 800-659-0104 and make special arrangements. Evolution will be happy to do that for you. Uh, Evolution has never, never had a recall of its products. Uh, Daisy loves them. There's new Maximum Life also, which is grain-free, gluten-free, hypoallergenic, uh, specially formulated for urinary tract health. There are special formulations for uh, specific health issues, um, which your dog and cat may uh, may be facing. So uh, call to talk about that. The number is 800-659-0104. And there are cases of dogs living up to 21 plus years and cats 22 plus years uh, eating evolution, evolution vegan, vegan dog and cat food. So again, that number and again, special discounts on the first Wednesday of the month, 800 659 Zero four, and today is uh, Monday. Not well. Today is a big day. It's a big day for dairy and eggs because uh, the uh, animal advocates of the world, in their supreme knowledge, declared Mondays to be meat-free Mondays or meatless Mondays. Not vegan Mondays, by the way, but. Uh, meat-free or meatless, so the general public, and yes, uh, we have some great music by general public on Radio Bobby, too, but the general public perceives Meatless Mondays to mean, oh, I'll have uh, more dairy and more eggs, and then probably pile it on Tuesday for sacrificing having meat yesterday. Let's have double the meat, you know, so... And why only meatless Mondays? I, I, you know, it's like, oh, let's do the right thing, which isn't even the right thing because it's not vegan Mondays. It needs to be vegan Mondays and then vegan Tuesdays through Sundays also for it to be the right thing. But leave it to animal advocacy to do the wrong thing. Um, just look at the so-called animal rights conference coming up in the very near future and how many of the organizations are now swimming in millions of dollars from the open philanthropy project um, so that they will promote cage-free eggs. Uh, what they what they used to oppose suddenly becomes, uh, hmm, yeah, we can campaign for that. How, how many millions are you going to give us? Yeah, cage-free eggs aren't so bad, really. You know, it's like, so they grind up every male chick just after birth. So, you know, so they mutilate every female, cut off her face, and put her in a prison with tens of thousands of other birds tightly confined, and then kill her. That sounds like a campaign for the animal rights movement, especially if we're going to get millions of dollars to promote such insanity. Now, also, there's money coming out for broiler campaigns. I don't even know what they are yet. Broiler campaigns, money, millions of dollars, again, flowing from the Open Philanthropy Project uh, to Mercy for Animals. I believe it got a million dollars for the broiler campaign. 
uh, as did the Humane League and, you know, the Humane Society of the United States. Well, it has a, a former employee who's uh, in charge of the purse strings at the Open Philanthropy Project, Louis Bollard, one of the worst things to ever happen to animals since the Animal Rights Conference. So, uh, and now I see that money is going to universities for broiler research. So all of these groups are kind of in a, uh, in a vivisection conspiracy against animals, too. I mean, it's, it's not bad enough that they're in an eating cons- conspiracy against animals, but uh, add vivisection, right? So, so that they'll know what to say for broiler campaigns. So they'll know. And, and just to call, to call birds broilers anyway... You know, seems somewhat offensive to me. Ah, at least there are good vegans in the world like Maccabee, who includes it in his music, and he cares enough that he does his medical Mondays where he features different fruits and vegetables. And and as I say, I said, he's on Radio Bobby with uh, lots of tunes, actually, but... Uh, you know, tunes from the heart for him. Too much chicken, wami eat. You know, so he's uh, he says he says it loud and proud that he's vegan, and uh, isn't that sweet? As sweet as sweet as cherries, I would say. As sweet as cherries. Greetings, welcome to Maccabees Medical Mondays. This is cherry. This liquor fruit is not ordinary. I included it when I did a thing about the berry, but it deserves its own solitary. Are you ready? This is cherry. People only see cherry as a confectionery or as a dessert or okay, cake culinary, but it's medical. It's not imaginary, pain killer, anti-inflammatory. Cherries have got a lot of health properties. Some use it for gout and for arthritis. Every morning I put some in on my smoothies. A spoonful of tart black cherry juices could help with your sleeping. Yes, this sweeting, whether you're drinking or eating, could be the melatonin helping you to zone in. It even increases hemoglobin, helps your immune system, protecting, fixing, so you won't be a victim. Brain functioning and engaging. Some of them even say anti-aging. Fiber, help relieve constipating. Sweet and tasty. It's amazing. Good for your heart and your eyes and your skin. Go on, cherry. Go on, do your thing. The darker the cherry, the sweeter the juice. Remember, it have medical use. Tastes good. No excuse. Me, cherry. Get introduced. Yes, I am. Well, thank you, Maccabee. All right. Cherries, say it's that time of year for those delicious cherries. Delicious organic cherries, I tell you, they, uh, they're up there. They're up there like, they're like chocolate. They, you know, they delicious and healthy. So, as I uh, mentioned and try to mention on every program, animal agriculture, your, if you're not vegan, your Uh, appetite for meat, dairy, fish, and eggs is the number one cause of climate change. I'm not here to blame you. I'm asking you to take responsibility and do the right thing. Just go vegan today. Go vegan today. You don't need any government, any politician, anybody to recognize that climate change is happening. It's not happening. None of it matters. We just all have to go vegan. Because that's the only solution for climate change. As we are told by the world's top climate specialists, these are people who advised the World Bank on climate for over two decades, telling us that meat, dairy, fish, and eggs 
are the number one cause of climate change and that the only solution is a massive population shift to vegan. In fact, it would be so successful that we could go back to pre-industrial carbon levels if we were all to go vegan. And then, you know, that frees up a lot of land for reforestation and we would all be living happily ever after. We would all be able to pursue happiness like the Declaration of Independence told us we, we, we could and should. So, uh, and we would have life. We'd have life, not death. Life and liberty. The animals will be liberated. We'll be liberated from the hospital beds. What's more American and patriotic and revolutionary than going vegan? Um... And if we don't, we'll just continue to endure climate change. And as we see in live science, a Delaware-sized iceberg is about to break off of Antarctica. A Delaware-sized iceberg. Well, Delaware's a small state, so who cares, right? I think that's where that's where Go Vegan Radio is incorporated. Luckily, it's not Delaware that's, well... Who knows? Who knows when the floodwaters come from meat, dairy, fish, and egg eating caused climate change. So the article here says Antarctica's Larsen Sea ice sheet is flowing fast. In fact, researchers who are observing the unstable ice sheet have found that it is speeding up indicating that a massive iceberg could break off or calve anytime now uh i guess that's when an uh, when a massive iceberg breaks off that's called c-a-l-v-e calve calve um anytime now it might be hours days or weeks they wrote in a new blog post at Project Midas. Project Midas is a United Kingdom-based project designed to observe Larsen C's dynamics as the climate warms. So far, the news is not good. Scientists have been tracking a growing rift in Larsen C since 2014. In early December 2016, the crack was 70 miles um, six weeks later, it was 109 miles and still growing. A new crack formed in May while the main uh, rift stabilized in length but continues to grow in width. When the inevitable ice calving comes, the sheet will birth an iceberg approximately the size of Delaware and will remove between 9 and 12% of Larsen C's total area. This could speed the dissolution of the shelf and remove some of the barrier that dams the land-based ice behind the floating ice shelf from the sea, according to Project Midas researchers. The Larsen Ice Shelf, which is along the northeast coast of the Antarctic Peninsula, abutting the Weddell Sea, Weddell Sea, has already lost 75% of its mass since 1995, according to the National Snow and Ice Data Center. 
that year about 580 square miles of the Larson A portion of the sheet broke away in 2012, 1,255 square miles um, of the uh, Larson B ice sheet calved off. Now Project Midas researchers have observed that the seaward side of the rift has tripled in speed and is now flowing 33 feet per day as of June 24th through June 27th. The iceberg remains attached to the ice shelf, but its outer end is moving at the highest speed ever recorded on this ice shelf, the uh, researchers wrote. The speed of observation, uh, the speed of observations don't show. Again, uh, where's the where's the grammarian here? These people are in the UK. The speed of observations don't show. It should be the speed of observations doesn't show. Okay, but anyway, and now I I go into regretting that I didn't become an English teacher after college and that I went into radio and just had this, uh, what a career, huh? Um, what a career. It was a fantastic, wonderful career I had in radio, being a program director in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and uh, then came deregulation, and uh, then there weren't that many owners looking for somebody to do creative, uh, any creative programming. I blame this all on uh, Bill Clinton and Al Gore, who deregulated the broadcast industry, which, uh, you know, allowed uh, fewer people to own more and more properties. And then, of course, there's less and less access for different thinking, different music, different creativity. And then democracy just, you know, just breaks off like an iceberg. Um, Okay, so we have that. And... uh, there was something else that I wanted to uh, get from Live Science. Was this the one? I think this is. This page always jumps around because there are so many pop-up ads, but okay. All right. Uh, this one from Live Science says, uh, Boaty McBoatface is back. Here's what the sub found on its first mission. Bodie McBoatface. What could this be? All right. The article says, The bright yellow submersible famously known as Bodie McBoatface has collected unprecedented data in, and that's a quote, unprecedented data in Antarctica on its maiden voyage, according to a team of researchers who conducted the mission. Of course, they're going to say they've gotten unprecedented data. They want more funding for more missions. No. Um, Why do I say no? Um, It says, during the operation, Bodie bravely explored the Antarctic bottom water, one of the coldest abyssal 
one of the coldest abyssal ocean spots on the planet. The abyssal zone ranges from about 13,000 to 20,000 feet. Um, I won't, I, I won't, when, when I get feet and miles and stuff, I, I won't give the translations into meters and kilometers since I, I understand them as much as I understand the definition of plant-based. Says the sub-captured data on temperature, speed of water flow, and underwater turbulence rates within the Orkney Passage in the Southern Ocean before it returned to its base in the United Kingdom last week. Scroll down. Quote, fresh from its maiden voyage, Boaty is already delivering new insight into some of the coldest ocean waters on Earth, giving scientists a greater understanding of changes in the Antarctic region and shaping a global effort to tackle climate change. And quote, Joe Johnson, the UK Minister for Universities and Science, said in a statement, Boaty McBoatface became famous in March 2016 when the UK's Natural Environment Research Council invited the public to brainstorm and vote on names for a new research vessel. To the surprise of the Research Council, the moniker Boaty McBoatface soon topped the charts by the time the poll ended a month later. So... So this is the creativity of the scientific community. This is, this is the, best, the best we can do uh, from the public for, for a vessel that's, that's investigating climate change. Bodie McBoatface. That's the best we can do, huh? For a yellow submarine? Well, we couldn't, we couldn't come up with... I mean... Bodie McBoatface for a yellow submarine. I mean, why, why couldn't it be? We could. It could have been. We all live in a yellow submarine. We all live in a. We all live in a. Why not call it the We All Live in a? You know, like for we all live in a yellow submarine. Or why not a name for the Beatles? We have a yellow submarine. Why not? You know the. Why not? Uh, Johnny McJohn face or, or Paul McPaul face or Ringo McRingo face or George Mc... So, um, Bodie McFo- McBoat face it is. And, uh, okay, so... <laughs> and, and, they, and, and, and the scientists allowed that. You know, it's like, okay, well, what did the public say? The public said Bodie McBoat face. Really? Do we, can we, can we, what was number two? You know, like, can we disqualify something if it's as ridiculous as Bodie McBoatface? I'm trying to do a science story here, and they're making me say Bodie McBoatface over and over again. Back to the article. It says the research council opened for a compromise. The research vessel would be christened the Sir David Attenborough in honor of the famous British naturalist and broadcaster, while its yellow submersible uh, would be called Bodie McBoatface. Uh, Okay. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, maiden mission. We want to know about the maiden mission. For its first mission, researchers aboard the Sir David Attenborough. Is that what the public wanted to name the, the, the whole research vessel? Right. So I guess that, I guess that would have been too embarrassing for the researchers aboard the Bodie McBoatface. So they're aboard the Sir David Attenborough. Um, and the researchers used Bodie as well as a variety of instruments on the ship and underwater to learn more about the environment along the Orkney Passage. Once underwater, Bodie traveled back and forth along the Orkney Passage floor, uh, sometimes in water colder than 32 degrees Fahrenheit, ooh, colder than freezing, colder than zero degrees Celsius, and in currents as fast as one knot, 1.1 miles per hour, 1.1 miles per hour, or 1.8 kilometers per hour, uh, when it measured the intensity of the turbulence. The submersible also encountered marine wildlife. Well, is that a shock? Is that a shock, a scientific shock? that a, uh, a submersible would go underwater in the ocean and encounter marine wildlife. Hmm. Shocking. Uh, it says, quote, At the start of one mission, whilst diving, Bodie encountered a swarm of krill so dense that the sub's echo sounders thought it was approaching the seabed, although it was only at 80 meters or 262 feet depth and returned to the surface. Uh, let's see. So one of the researchers said that. So we have this brilliant invention, a yellow submersible named Bodie McBoatface who goes into the water and then Bodie freaks out when he comes, it comes across a swarm of krill and thinks it's crashing into the ocean floor. So, and, and then people these days qu question science. Why would that be? Why, why, why are people questioning science when Bodie McBoatface thinks that sea creatures are the seafloor? Huh? So warming currents. Are we going to get anything from Bodie out of this? Okay. The currents measured by Bodie from the coast of Antarctica when, when cold winds coming off the ice sheet uh, cool the sea surface. Uh, these cold, dense waters then sink and move northward, creating a key global circulation of ocean water, the researchers said. However, this Antarctic bottom water must flow through one choke point, the Orkney Passage, on its way from Antarctica's uh, Weddell Sea to the Atlantic Ocean, the researchers said. Evidence suggests that uh, changing winds blowing across the Southern Ocean affect the speed of the seafloor currents carrying the uh, Antarctic bottom water, faster flows are more turbulent and more turbulence tends to mix heat from shallower waters into the lower, colder waters. Uh, this warms the uh, abyssal, abyssal, 
A-B-Y-S-S-A-L, waters on their way to the equator and can affect global climate change, the researchers said. And uh, all of this we get from uh, Bodie McBoatface, who uh, can't uh, tell krill from the uh, from the, the floor of the ocean. Um, and the quote here, the, uh, the Orkney Passage is a key choke point to the flow of abyssal waters in uh, which we expect the mechanism linking changing winds to abyssal water warming to operate. All right, so I guess we get the idea. It says, up until now, we have only been able to take measurements from a fixed point, but now we are able to obtain much more detailed pictures of what is happening whatever so okay so that's the latest from Bodie McBoatface where are we see what time it is 614 what else do I want to do here one more on the climate one more on the climate and and remember when anybody talks about climate change he or she is talking about that which is caused by the consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. Um, and it doesn't really matter if people recognize that climate change is happening or they deny climate change. If they don't know what the solution is and they deny the solution, as, of course, all the major environmental groups seem to do, 350.org, Greenpeace, um, whoever else, uh, the Sierra Club, they all ignore the main cause of climate change and the only solution. So I guess you have to get it from Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, the 501c3 nonprofit uh, that you can support uh, that uh, brings out some of the truth, including the only solution for climate change, according to the world's top climate specialists. You get it here. You can donate. GoVeganRadio.com. Find the donate button. Um, if you would like a little truth about the environment out there, uh, or you can, or you can, you can hear from Bodie McBoatface. You can, you can, you can. Uh, yeah. Okay. And just one, one more thing here on uh, from Life Science: an article why greener gas-powered vehicles aren't as clean as you think. See, everything claims to be green. That's the whole thing: green or greener. If it uh, pollutes a little less than something else, it's green or greener. When really the only green is vegan. When you come right down to it, that is living green. You eat your greens. We eat a lot of what's green, right? But, you know, the corporations say, you know, Exxon is green, right? Yeah. Um, Meat, dairy, fish, and eggs are green and humane. Anyway, in this article, it says gas-powered vehicles that use cleaner technology may still be spewing tons of harmful chemicals into the atmosphere, uh, new research suggests. See, our, our solutions are not, uh, they're not more miles per gallon, uh, greener uh, car technology. You know, uh, turning the water off while you're shaving your legs. Those aren't those aren't the solutions. Only going vegan is the solution. Um, 
This article says newer, greener, and it has greener in quotes. So, okay, newer, newer, um, you know, quotation marks in the air. Greener vehicles are equipped with technology that traps most particulate matter and mostly emit vapors. However, those vapors may still chemically react with other compounds in the atmosphere to form pollutants. It may just take a little while longer, according to a new study. Air pollution. When cars combust gasoline, they produce a mixture of vapor. Teensy, and this is, I'm reading from, from the you know, the science article here, live science. Um, so when cars combust gasoline, they produce a mixture of vapor, teensy droplets, um, and that's a scientific term, teensy, um, and minuscule solid particles that leave vehicles, exhaust pipe, and rise up into the atmosphere. The solid particles called primary organic aerosols are what most people think of when they picture the sooty black particles belching from a stinky tailpipe. Some of these particles are less than about 2.5 micrometers in diameter, small enough to burrow deep into a person's lungs and even circulate in the bloodstream, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, these particles have been tied to heart and lung problems, according to a 2006 study in the Journal of Air and Water Management Association. Uh, however, secondary organic aerosols, SOAs, uh, which can form in a chemical reaction between sunlight and organic compounds from tailpipes, trees, and power plants, may also have an effect on health, according to the EPA. In recent years, stricter emissions uh, guidelines have dramatically reduced the amount of primary organic aerosols that cars can emit. But it wasn't clear how this would ultimately affect the formation of secondary compounds that could still harm health. To find out, Alan Robinson, a mechanical engineer at Carnegie Mellon University in Pennsylvania and director of the EPA-funded Center for Air, Climate, and Energy Solutions, um, and his colleagues put a fleet of 59 cars into a smog chamber. The cars were different ages and spanned. Okay, so, you know, that's what they did. We don't... Need to hear about that, and I think we also heard. I think we also heard uh, basically the gist of uh, the gist of the article, which is uh, you know we want to we want to believe that things are green, uh, even things that can't possibly be green. I guess they can be greener, right? Thing, things that can't possibly be humane can can be humaner, right? So. Whatever. Um, all right, so let's see. Oh, I wanted to hear from Maccabee again on his. Uh, oh, oh, and I did want to thank uh, Vegetarian House, Vegetarian House in San Jose, Vegetarian House Vegan Restaurant, for its ongoing support of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden year after year after year. 
the vegetarian house is there for us as a supporter and uh, it is one of the great vegan restaurants in the world if you happen to be in the bay area in northern california you must visit vegetarian house it's uh it's a favorite in you know for silicon valley san jose area for decades the place is packed people love it it's great look at the menu at vegetarianhouse.us i mean it's just the f the food is amazing it's delicious you know whether you want wonderful raw creations just phenomenal salads i mean all the food is organic non-gmo um the the best burger i think the best burger you'll ever have uh in a restaurant is the jolly burger there but you know it has just check out the menu i mean it's just phenomenal the you know, the international cuisine the everything from sushi to uh the ocean basket just the soups the desserts you can get raw juice i mean it's just one of the phenomenal restaurants and vegetarian house is also supporting radio bobby so i'm going to get some some commercials running for vegetarian house on radio bobby that's that's what you're uh, going to hear in terms of any sponsorships or advertisements on radio bobby only uh, vegan products and services and vegetarian house will be one of them evolution vegan dog and cat food will be another um, vegetarian house is a hundred percent vegan organic non-gmo vegetarian house caters the catering business is booming um and uh, so if you have an event coming up in the Bay Area, uh, whether it's a business event, a social event, you're getting married, the food has to be great, well, get in touch with Vegetarian House. Go to vegetarianhouse.us. Vegetarian House is at 520 East Santa Clara Street in San Jose. And uh, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden wants you to support your local vegan restaurants, your local 100% vegan restaurants. These are people who are really putting it on the line. They're like, uh, you know, they're, they're like rescue missions. They're like 21st century rescue missions. That's, uh, you have to check it out. You know, Fred Lundgren, uh, my friend whose life I saved many years ago, couldn't believe how, how, you know, nobody believes how great the food is. We have the best food. I mean, you're not sacrificing anything, and then you're not sacrificing anyone, which is uh, more important to me, since it is so unnecessary uh, to consume meat, dairy, fish, or eggs. Um, as my friend Professor Gary Francione, who will be coming up in just a few minutes, uh, often says that, you know, it's uh, it's proven that, you can be at least as healthy as a vegan, uh, as a non-vegan, right? I, uh, I tend to say healthier since it seems that there are so many more risks involved with the consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs and all the, all the studies that constantly, you know, that come our way. Um, so then that makes eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs just entertainment, pleasure of the palate. Um, and the, the animals have to suffer and die for that. Um, and it's so unnecessary when the food is so great. Uh, check out the menu at Vegetarian House, vegetarianhouse.us. Uh, we, we vegans are foodies. You know, we love to eat. We have, you know, we, we have the great food. So, um, and it is the environmentally responsible food. And it is, uh, it's the way to be if we care about animals. Uh, 
a friend, a friend of a friend. As, you know, I was just introduced to somebody who uh, traps cats, and uh, so my uh, my roommate. I care for an elderly woman. My my roommate met her, and uh, you know they're working on trapping some cats. And my roommate said, "Oh, she wants to talk to you about being vegan." Um, and I met her, and the first thing out of her mouth was. I'm a hypocrite because I'm not vegan. So I said, well, you don't really need to talk to me about being vegan. Just talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. Um, before Professor Francione, I would like to have another episode with Maccabee. Maccabee burning up the airwaves of Radio Bobby, uh, the great vegan reggae performer. Really enjoy his music, uh, the Too Much Chicken getting a good reaction to that, and Wami Eat. Those are two of his songs that are on Radio Bobby at RadioBobby.com. Uh, he has other great songs there, too. Check out the music. I think you'll like it a lot. Maccabee does uh, Medical Mondays. We don't do Meatless Mondays around here. We do Vegan Every Day. And here's uh, Maccabee uh, on Vitamin C. Vitamin C, Maccabee. Take it away. Greetings. Welcome to Maccabee's Medical Monday. Today it's all about vitamin C. Vitamin, 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 vitamin C. Vitamin, 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 vitamin C. Sure, good for the colds and flus and boosts your immunity. This vitamin helps absorb the minerals in your body. This vitamin, it's an antioxidant and very healthy. This vitamin, in a certain fruit and vegetables plenty. Vitamin C, it in a lemon. Vitamin C, it in a lime. Vitamin C, it in a oranges and peppers and thyme. In a kiwi, in a guava, in a berries, in a kale. Vitamin C, Eating enough fruit and veg without fail. Papaya, amla, mango, moringa, melon, watercress, so much in a nature. So many benefits with spatial I stand. Blood circulation, good for the heart. Also good for the skin because it good with the collagen. Very helpful for repairing and it good for healing. It's an essential vitamin and you must get it in. And the best way to get it in, healthy eating it near. Vitamin, 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 vitamin C. And this is Medical Monday with the man Maccabee. Yes, I am. <laughs> All right, Maccabee. So inspired by fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and seeds is he. So, uh, all right, Maccabee. You can hear music by Maccabee on Radio Bobby at radiobobby.com.
We continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. On Twitter at Go Vegan Radio, Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And there are now Twitter and Facebook pages for Radio Bobby at Radio Bobby Music. So uh, check those out. And um, it is time for... Uh, our weekly commentary with Professor Gary Francione. And um, by the way, uh, oh, oh, and oh, I, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm supposed to get back in touch with Wayne Shun. I think that he was interested in, in coming back on the program, Gary, and uh, talking to us. We have, uh, we're both interested in talking about issues related to open rescue and, uh, and some of the demonstrations with uh, direct action everywhere. And uh, also, Gary, I saw something this week that, that seemed to say that uh, Matt uh, Eat Meat Ball uh, is no longer with Farm Sanctuary. It seems like that was an announcement that was made. Meat Ball is no longer with Farm Sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Eat Meat Ball uh, is no <laughs> I, I I don't know if that you know if it was like they were going to have to protect the the cows and pigs from him now you know I I don't know what the yeah I I don't really know what the reason is I just saw that there was this announcement I'm just wondering if it has anything to do with uh, his support of uh, eating everybody but chickens you know who, so. who, look the one thing I can tell you is that um, I wouldn't want to venture a guess about about. Uh, what motivates these people, why they do what they do. Um, you know, Bob, I was, I'm writing an article. Uh, there's a, um, uh, an issue of Between the Species is, uh, is having a special issue devoted to Tom Reagan. And I was, um, I was asked to be a contributor, and I've written a piece. And I uh, haven't finished it yet, but I'm getting close. And I am um, doing some research back into the 1990s when um, Tom and I were working together. We stopped working together in 1996 when Tom decided after calling for a boycott of the, uh, well, for listeners, let me just backtrack a second for listeners who, who don't know the history of this. In 1990, there was uh, a march on Washington for the animals. And it was um, sponsored by, or was organized by, the National Alliance for Animals. But it was the co-chairs of the uh, the march um, were Peter Gerard, the guy who ran National Alliance, and Tom Reagan. And um, it was a it was a pretty abolitionist oriented march in the sense that, um, although I have to say, in 1990, the thinking about these things was still a little unclear. But um, I think there was a perception, I think it's accurate to say that there was a perception in 1990 that we didn't really know what the hell animal rights meant, but we knew that it was, you know, we were evolving from the animal welfare movement and we weren't animal welfare people, although we weren't really sure how we differed from the animal welfare people. And that was actually one of the issues that Tom and I spent a lot of time thinking about. But um, the um, the... The National Alliance had another march in 1996 that was very, very different from the march that they had in 1990 and was very clearly um, a march to 
assert the this supposed unity of the movement because what had happened in the five or six years between the first march and the second march was that um, Tom and I had had um, really put this idea of rights versus welfare um, in a really pointed way before the movement. We were being very, very um, aggressive in talking about the rights-welfare distinction. And people were uh, responding uh, very, very uh, well to it. Activists were responding very well and were very interested. And, and they were very interested in, in being animal rights activists. And I think this was scaring the hell out of, of um, uh, uh, the large organizations, the, lo- the, 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 the old guard ones like HSUS, but even the, um, the, the, the newer organizations like PETA, I, I, um, I reread, I hadn't read it in years, but I reread uh, the article that Tom Reagan and I wrote in 1992. Uh, it was a debate that we had in a magazine called The Animal's Agenda, terrible magazine, but we had a debate in 1992 with Ingrid Newkirk. In- Ingrid was defending welfareism, and Tom and I were uh, arguing against it. And and I think what was happening between 90 and 96 was the corporate welfare movement, uh, old guard and new, were getting pretty nervous about the fact that you know a couple of professors um, were uh, starting a a, de- a debate, a discussion that was. Um, creating a lot of problems because it was attracting a lot of people. And um, so the 1995 uh, National Alliance Conference, the National Alliance, Bob, was the, was the then, um, you know, they, they used to have a conference every year. And uh, like the, the animal rights, supposed so-called animal rights conference that Hershaft and Farm puts on, um, the, the 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 predecessor of that was the National Alliance Conference, which had started in the 80s um, and uh, and had continued. It was every year. It was the big conference. And um, 95, Tom and I didn't get didn't get invited to it. It was like the first time in years that we had not been invited to the thing. And um, and then this march comes, you know, this march comes up and and um, Reagan. Was we we both knew what was going on. It was very clear what was going on. Um, that you know that this march was intended to reassert the primacy of the welfare movement, but not directly. But but rather by saying we're all one movement. You know we're all animal people. So this division between rights and welfare just a lot of nonsense. You know if you care about animals, you're an animal person. It doesn't matter whether you're rights or welfare. A position I disagreed with in 1996. A position I disagree with now, and um, and so Tom uh, Tom Reagan called for boycott, and you know he um, uh, I was just reading some things today that I haven't seen I haven't looked at in years. As a matter of fact, some of the stuff I didn't know I had actually, uh, but I still had. And um, Tom was really upset about the march, and you know he thought it was. Um, he thought it was selling out the grassroots. He thought it was promoting the idea that celebrities should, you know, play a huge role in the movement, which he objected to. He was outraged by the fact that, um, that you know, the, they were asking for donations for the march, and the more you donated, the more VIP benefits you got, 
and the more minutes you got at the microphone. They were basically selling access to the um, to the microphone, and uh, much the same way. I mean, you know, it's the, the structure of it somewhat reminiscent, if I'm not mistaken, to what was going on at the AR conference uh, last year, where they were they were um, you know that depending on what tier of support you you gave, you got speakers, you had some number of speakers to, to talk. Was that not the case, that they were selling access to the microphone at the AR conference? I believe so. Yeah. And um, they, were doing that at, they were doing that in 1996 at the march, and, um, and, and, and Tom was really upset about the fact that they were promoting the idea that, that there was unity. And, you know, these, these were all ideas that, uh, you know, that he and I had been pushing for the past five or six years. And, um, and so he called for a boycott. I joined him. You know, I said, yeah, let's boycott this thing. And, um, and then Tom accepted. <laughs> Tom, Tom went and he talked after <laughs> calling for a boycott. And um, that was the end of our relationship. And, um, I, but what's interesting about this is in looking back over, you know, the, 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 the situation, it's, it's very, very interesting because what we're dealing with now is really the same thing we were dealing with in 1996. The difference was it was 1996, and, and we hadn't been dealing with it, you know, the same damn issue for 20, you know, for 20 or more than 20 years. I mean, it was, it was you know, the movement, the rights movement emerges in the 1980s. Nobody really knows what it means, but but we know that it's more radical than the HSUS and those organizations. But we're we're really not sure how. Um, and in 1990, we had this radical march in Washington, and everyone's you know abolition, animal rights, abolition, animal rights. And then six years later, um, the corporate movement has asserted itself and saying we don't want to hear this stuff anymore. It's unity. We don't want to hear divisiveness. You know, it's not about rights versus welfare. It's all about unity. And the organizations that were sponsoring the thing, a lot of them were, I mean, it was, it was like HSUS. It was like the ASPCA. Roger Karras, who was, um, who was the head of the ASPCA at that point, had just written a book about fishing. And he talked about how, you know, fishing brings you closer to God and all this. I mean, these people were like, they, they, weren't, they weren't vegetarians. They weren't vegans. They were, they, were, they, were, they were totally opposed to rights. And they were putting on this party that was a complete sham. And, um, and uh, you know, and as I say, Reagan calls, a bo- calls for a boycott, which made perfect sense. I mean, it would seem to me that would be the only rational response. I mean, anybody who cared at all about animals and animal rights should have had nothing to do with that event. And, uh, but it was so interesting to see the, the, the discussions that were going on then, you know, because there were a lot of letters going back and forth between Tom and, and the people who were organizing the march and me and the people who were organizing the march and me and other people who were boycotting. And, I mean, there, were, there was all sorts of stuff going back and forth. And the, the themes are the same. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. It's not the same thing. You know, it's not the same thing. Uh, rights and welfare are not the same thing, and we're not promoting humane exploitation. It was interesting because, in, you know, the, the, to give you a sense of, of how things changed, in 92, I mean, animals' agenda had always been a problem, well, not always, but had been a, pro, uh, had been a problematic pro- publication for a number of years. Um, and, and in 92, as I mentioned before, they published the debate between Newkirk, Reagan, and me about, um, about rights versus welfare. But by 95, 
things had changed so much, um, the editor-in-chief of, of uh, Animal's Agenda became Kim Stallwood. Kim Stallwood uh, is, a, is a virulent opponent of animal rights and abolition. He's a, he's a dyed-in-the-wool welfareist. And, I mean, a complete, complete welfareist. And Stallwood had taken over in 95. And Don Barnes, I don't know if you remember Don Barnes, if you ever knew Don Barnes, but Don Barnes. Yeah, he worked, and he worked for the National Anti-Vivisection Society in Chicago. And Don wrote this horrible essay in Agenda in which he attacked me and Tom for being philosophical elites. He actually, it was, it was sort of a bizarre, bizarre essay in, certain, in many respects, but one of them, one, the thing that I most remember about that essay, and I, hadn't, I haven't thought about this stuff in years, but I have to tell you, it, it was sort of, I was flooded with memories today, um, was Barnes wrote, that, wrote this article in Agenda in which he accused me and Tom of philosophical elitism by promoting the idea that rights was a morally was the morally correct philosophy, if you if you believe that animals had moral value, and he accused us of grassroots elitism because we were promoting grassroots organization, and that was harmful to the large wealthy national organizations, and we should be ashamed of ourselves for being grassroots elitists. It was bizarre. It was beyond bizarre, actually. And, and, um, and so Tom and I, and actually and Anna, and Anna Charlton, and um, Priscilla Cohn, um, we all wrote a response. Uh, and Stallwood refused to publish it. I mean, that's, that's how things, things had changed so dramatically from 90 to 95, 96, was that, you know, even though the people at Agenda didn't really have much use for me or Tom, um, they published the, the, the debate between us and Newkirk in 92. 95, we couldn't even get an essay in there when we were being attacked. <laughs> you know, and it was, it was just remarkable. It was absolutely remarkable. And, um, but things had changed, you know. So from 90 to 95, you know, the, 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 the emerging animal rights movement was crushed. I mean, you know, it, it emerged in the, in the 80s. Um, it started actually, you know, getting some, some traction in the later 80s. And, you know, by 90, people are really excited. I mean, they're unclear about what it is we're supposed to be doing to, to make an animal rights movement, to translate it into a practical strategy, which is what Tom and I were spending an enormous amount of time doing, was trying to come up with ideas for a practical strategy. We eventually did come up with, with some stuff. But, um, but people were excited about animal rights. But but from ninety to ninety five, the 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 corporate welfare groups kicked in and crushed it, you know, absolutely crushed it. So by ninety six, when Tom, you know Tom basically you know after calling for a boycott, um, Tom Tom agreed to talk and basically said, well, welfareists do some good, and then that was the end of it. I mean, that was the end of it because Tom then changed his position and he started you know he started. Um, uh, uh, cooperating with the welfare groups, and um, you know he, uh, you know he 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 basically backed off of the of the position that it's all inconsistent, and we should not support the welfareist groups, and the welfareist groups are counterproductive, and they're making us go backward. I mean, it was so dramatic. I remember, you know, um, Tom Tom was um, Tom 
was was furious with Farm Sanctuary for promoting the movie Babe. And he wanted to have a, a press conference, and he was furious with, with Farm Sanctuary for promoting Babe. And, you know, short time later, Tom is basically speaking at Farm Sanctuary events and promoting Farm Sanctuary. And so, you know, it... Uh, well, I mean, uh, uh, the position that he took, that I took as well, was that um, there should you shouldn't use mo- animals in movies, um, and and um, you know that that animals animals used in films, animal actors are not consenting parties. You know, you're not talking about you know um, uh, you know a photo or a scene of a kid with a dog or something. You're talking about um, you know, farm animals and the farm animal, and, and there were issues with, I don't remember them precisely, but there were issues about, there was some claim that the animals used in Babe um, were, not, were not harmed, but in fact, as I recall, some of them went off and became breeding animals for use in vivisection. I mean, it was, it was this, is a, this was a constant problem was the use of animals in films and the complete um, inability of the American Humane Association to monitor that. They're, they're supposed to monitor it, but they're basically captured by the film industry. And so there's all sorts of bad stuff that goes on in films. And, you know, you see that thing at the end of, you know, um, uh, of the movies that, you know, the, the movie says, you know, no animal was harmed in the making of this film. Well, you know, in... in um, fair number of cases that's absolutely wrong and um, and so uh, and by the way I don't know whether AJ still monitors that that was they were doing that back then and um, so that you know I opposed babe I mean the, the people at Farm Sanctuary wanted me to come out and do a fundraiser with um, with uh, James Cromwell and I, I told them no I, I wouldn't do it because I didn't believe that um, uh, animals should be used in films and I remember having a discussion with them, and they said, but, you know, if the movie has a good message, doesn't that justify it? And I said, well, that's like a movie in which, you know, a woman is raped, and it's got a really good message about, you know, about not being violent to women, but somebody was harmed in the making of the film strikes me as like something I don't want to support. And, um, and I didn't. I didn't support Babe. And Tom was even, you know, more upset. Tom wanted to, Tom wanted to take a, a, a public position against them and, and um, you know it was uh, got got a little uncomfortable, and then he turned around and he was supporting them. So you know it. it so so by '96, you know the efforts that we were making to try to differentiate the rights movement from the welfare movement had basically um, died uh, because you know w- what we were doing back then. He and I were working on developing grassroots organizations on the state and local level, and. You know, we were trying to develop an animal rights movement, and then Tom just decided that he was going to not do that. <laughs> Which, you know, and look, I, I mean, I, I mean, um, to be to be fair to Tom, um, I think he was uh, upset. Uh, he, he didn't like confrontation, and um, and the one thing that you learn when you do this work is that um, the welfare is foment confrontation constantly in the hopes that people will be unable to deal with the confrontation and will go away. And I think that's exactly what happened. 
with, you know, with Tom is that he didn't like the confrontation. But um, so he, he basically threw in the towel and decided that he was going to stop promoting the idea that he was going to stop, he, he was going to start promoting new welfareism is basically what he decided he was going to do. That he was going to talk about abolition as the end, but he was going to, he was going to promote basically everything that was going on in the movement as a means to the end of abolition. And, and he just decided that's what he was going to do. And I think he just wanted a quiet life. You know, he just didn't want to deal with the noise. Um, you know, and the fact that it was getting ugly, that, you know, we were being attacked um, and, and we couldn't even respond. You know, we were being attacked in agenda. And, you know, in the, at, at that time, um, you know, it wasn't as easy as it is now to, you know, to go online. I mean, you know, if a magazine wouldn't publish your response, you didn't really have an ability to get that out. Um, it was It was difficult back then. And so... So I think, you know, he was upset about the fact that, that um, people were angry, that, um, you know, that we weren't being invited to conferences because people didn't like the rights welfare stuff. Much the same way, you know, and it's the same thing now, you know. I mean, I spoke at the Animal Rights National Conference in 2013, and I got, a, I got an email from Hershaft saying basically um, that, you know, they didn't want to have discussions about rights welfare anymore and that they weren't going to do it. And, you know, and, and, and so it's been, it's, the, what we're dealing with now, we've been dealing with forever. And it was just interesting to me um, to sort of go back and, and refresh my recollection of the stuff that was going on back then because you sort of see the emergence of this position. You sort of see between 90 and 96 the large organizations organized. They organize and they decide, we need to have an event where we're going to tamp this crap down. We're going to get rid of this other rights, this abolition stuff, and this opposition to welfare. We're going to get rid of it. And they did. I mean, they didn't in one sense. They did. They didn't in another sense. But, um, you know, but they did. On, on, on one level, they did. And, you know, and I, 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 I've been musing about, you know, what would have happened if Reagan and I had stayed together? Would things have been the same? And the answer is, well, you know, what would have been the same is the organizations would have come at us the way they were coming at us because we were, we were um, promoting ideas that didn't fit in with their business model. So we were going to get, we were going to get crap. And, and, um, and I remember having a conversation in 90, sometime in the winter of 95 going into the spring of 96 because the, the March was in, I think June of '96, and um, and I remember having a conversation with a leader of the movement who basically said, "If you continue calling for this boycott, they asked, they asked they invited me to come and speak at this thing, and they said that I would be given a you know a, a special place. It would be me, me, Singer, and Reagan, and you know, and and I would be you know, and, and I said no, I would have nothing to do with it, and I didn't care whether Tom was going to go. That was Tom's decision. He wanted to go. That was his business. I wouldn't have anything to do with it." And um, and I remember being told, you know, if you don't do this, you can, we're going to freeze you out. You're, you're not going to you're not going to participate anymore in the animal movement. And for some years, I didn't. I mean, you know, I kept we're doing my work, and I was doing things. I was I was um, I was I was writing. I was representing people. I was doing things. Um, 
animal-related things, but I wasn't doing the sorts of public things I was doing and speaking at the conferences because I wasn't getting invited to them anymore because basically I was a persona non gratis because I, I boycotted and called for a boycott of the march. And the march was a failure. I mean, it was, it was relative to the 1990 march. It was a joke. Um, but I think that... Um, I think that uh, yeah, they're both in, they're both in D.C. and um, you know it was. Uh, but just looking back at that time, you know, and sort of reading some of these things that were written, and you know, some of them are not easy to read, actually, to be honest with you. And um, and you know, sort of reminding myself of what was going on back then. We were. We, I didn't realize it in certain ways. I guess um, certain ways I did, and certain ways I didn't. But I, I, I was witnessing. We were witnessing um, the organized attempt by the welfare movement to crush the rights movement, which which it it did on one level, you know. And and um, and I I think in certain ways that you know. Things would have been. I mean, they, they were certainly going to come after us, no matter what. I mean, they were going to, you know, they, 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 they as I said, we were, we were promoting ideas that were inconsistent with their business model. On the other hand, would it have been different if we had stayed together? Well, you know, one of the things we were working on back then is we were trying to get animal people, animal rights people, organized on a state and local level, so that we could sort of get rid of this whole idea of the na the large national organization and sort of promote grassroots activism, animal rights activism. And we had this whole sort of thing about what animal rights activism looked like and 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 you know and, and the importance of veganism, the importance of, you know, not promoting any sort of discrimination, human discrimination, and the idea that we wouldn't support welfare reform. And that any campaigns that we promoted had to be expressed as part, of, explicitly expressed as a part of a, of a program of eradicating all animal use. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't um, you know, the, the, the campaigns had to be sort of prohibition type campaigns. We had this whole thing that Reagan and I had sort of worked out over a period of time. And, um, and so we were going to try to sort of get that going at the level of the of of you know so on a local level, we wanted to sort of see animal grassroots organizations spring up all over the place, and there was a, a fair amount of interest. And I think we would have we would have you know I, I think you know we had a very good chance of pulling that off. Had we done that, things would have been very different. Things would be very different now. Um, but alas. <laughs> It didn't happen, and so now. We have... No, no, no. It was, it was. Um, uh, no, after, after he agreed to, um, after he agreed to speak at the conference, we, um, we. I, I don't recall ever speaking to him again personally after his decision to speak at the conference. I don't recall ever speaking. I may have. I mean, it was a long time ago, and I have a bad memory, but um, but I I do not recall ever speaking to him again um, after that after that happened. And um, I mean, you know, look, I, I had a very close relationship with him, but it was an ideological relationship. And after you know, it was, I, we spent a huge amount of time together. I 
I can I really can't recall ever discussing anything with him that wasn't animal related. You know, I mean, um uh you know, and, and once that once we once we stopped doing the animal work, the the relationship was non existent. And there there was really nothing I mean we had, you know, there was some correspondence and one of the things I found today was that, you know, was a was a statement that, you know, there were some people questioning whether or not he, he was going to speak at the march. Uh, and he was insulted that people even asked him that, that of course he wasn't going to speak at the march. He had called for a boycott. He was opposed to it. He thought everybody should boycott it. And then he put out a statement. I've got that here, too, as well. And I was really, I, had, I, I really I haven't seen this stuff in years. And, um, and I saw the statement that he put out when he agreed to speak. And he basically said, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak and, I know people are going to say this is odd and whatnot, and I don't really care what they say, but I've decided that, you know, everybody does some good, nobody does only good, and I've decided that i got to be there. And it sort of took my breath away to read this thing again. I mean, I remember, I mean, I, I, knew, he, I knew he spoke at the march, and I knew that that was a real problem between us, but I hadn't remember, I hadn't looked at the statement that he wrote um, supposedly justifying or attempting to justify his speaking at the march, and but but you know, but again, I mean, the main point I'm trying to make is that I, I was I was watching, you know, I, I guess I didn't really completely understand what I was seeing, but what I was seeing was the organized response of the movement, of the corporate welfare movement, to what Reagan and I were doing. And the trouble that we were causing by having the audacity to talk about ideas. You know, and what's interesting is we never really came out. I was looking at some of the stuff that we wrote, and we never attacked these people in a personal way. I mean, it was always, it was always we think welfare is a bad idea. We think single-issue campaigns that substitute one form of exploitation for another form of exploitation are a bad idea. I mean, I remember, for example, one of the things going on, back then was pound seizure, you know, the pound seizure stuff, pound seizure campaigns. And, you know, the pound seizure campaigns were directed at the fact that, um, or concerned the fact that uh, in a lot of places, a lot of states, um, there were laws that required that animals that were turned into uh, a public shelter who were not adopted or claimed by owners in some period of time had to be turned over to biomedical research, they call those pound seizure laws, and there was an, there was a uh, a campaign to stop pound seizure laws, and the animal people were arguing that what they should use instead are purpose bred animals, and I remember having arguments with animal people. I still remember having an argument in Los Angeles with Cleveland Amory, um, who was then head of Fund for Animals. And saying, you know, what, 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 how can we possibly take the position that there's a moral difference between a dog that is bred at Charles River breeding facilities and a dog who is bred, you know, who is, who is dumped at a pound and turned over? And, you know, the only explanation I could ever get from anybody was that, well, dogs that had been pets or cats that had been pets, you know, they had expectations and animals that were bred at, you know, these breeding facilities for research, they didn't really have any expectations. I guess they sort of didn't think that they, they didn't understand they were domesticated animals, but, um, but they didn't have any expectations, so th they, they didn't really have any expectations that would be frustrated because they had never been pets. And that was a sort of nonsense. That was a sort of 
patent nonsense that was being promoted. Of course, it's not, it's complete nonsense. But but you know, so so we were taking the position that if you're going to have a pound seizure uh, campaign, it's got to be sort of completely opposed to the use of any animals. And it's got to be part of an explicit part of an opposition to all vivisection, and it's got to be an explicit part of an opposition to all animal use for any purpose, whether for food, for clothing, or for science. And you know, and so that was the sort of thing that we were promoting, and and they didn't like it. You know, the the organized the 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 large the large welfare groups didn't like it, and the groups the emerging groups like PETA didn't like it either because. They were, they were getting bigger, and they needed to have a broad donor base. So, so they then gravitated to this, you know, to the, to the welfare model. Um, they all do this. This is, the, this is the main problem of these animal groups is they all do the same thing. They all do the exact same thing. They all become companies that sell out animal interests so they can keep their donor bases broad. So we were trying to figure out a way around that. And we were going to, you know, we were going to try to encourage the, the um, development of groups on the local level and, um, and you know, that weren't, that weren't part of national organizations and that were explicitly abolitionist organizations that were going to conduct any, any and all campaigns with a sort with an abolitionist rhetoric that would make clear what the goal of the campaign was so even though they were incremental steps they were incremental steps that fit into an abolitionist sort of general approach and um you know now i have since come to see that that's not a good idea because you can't really do that unless you have an abolitionist you can't do that just as an animal organization, because what you get is just a conventional single-issue campaign that is a disaster, which is what they all do. Um, it, it only makes sense to do if you've got an abolitionist movement where there's a context with this stuff. But in any event, I was just taking a walk down memory lane today, Bob, and, and it, was, um, it was a painful little journey, I must say, because it reminded me of a lot of stuff from the mid-90s that was very unpleasant, to be very frank with you. And, and it really is interesting to see how the welfareists really haven't changed. They're always, they're always claiming, you know, that um, they're, they're always fomenting con you know, confrontation and then accusing everybody else of being divisive. You can't take a position which is critical of them because that makes you divisive, but they always assume that, you know, that there's something to be divided. And when you say, um, but no, there is no unity to be divided because we have very different approaches, we have approaches which are inconsistent with each other, then you're accused of being a bad person. You're accused of harming the animals. Uh, you get all this ad hominem nonsense thrown at you. Um, but it was, um, it was uh, interesting to... to, to to watch, and um, uh, when I, you know, from from that perspective back then, and um, you know, it's sad. It hasn't, it ha and it, it's only gotten worse. You know, it's only gotten worse in the past 21 years. So now we don't even have, at least in, at least then, you had a lot of people who were talking about animal rights and abolition, and you know, we've got to, you know, we've got to end it all. Now you don't even have that for all intents and purposes. 
You know, you have, I mean, the, the supposed radicals are people, you know, who stand up in restaurants and chant wearing coordinated T-shirts or engage in violent conduct, you know, or, or you know, I mean, I, I, I mean this, or, or basically, you know, promote the idea that the way we're going to liberate all the animals is through open rescue and, you know, I, making no sense whatsoever. I mean, there, there really are no groups. And that, and that group, uh, Direct Action Everywhere, has a, denigrates veganism. Absolutely denigrates veganism, and so, um, and so I think. Yeah, well, you know, and so it's it is interesting to see, you know, how it's come, and 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 it's in many ways it's totally it's totally predictable because what we were doing, you know, you're dealing with a huge industry, and the industry co-ops, and the industry has basically co-opted the the movement. So that the the movement is now an appendage of industry, and um, and you know and and so they put on a show of being opposed to each other, but they're not really, and and um, you know it, it's somewhat comical and very tragic because you know a lot of animal people win because they make a living doing this, and the exploiters win because they don't have really anybody trying to change social discourse and focusing on the is- on the issue of animal use. And everybody wins except the animals they lose. And so that's all I have to say this week. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Horrible. Horrible. I can hear it. I can hear it sort of in the background. It makes my dogs very unhappy. Particularly, one of my dogs gets very, very frightened with this nonsense. And um, you know, but it'll go on tonight. It'll go on tomorrow night. It'll probably go on the weekend. I hate that stuff. Just hate it. Absolutely hate it. it. Scares the deer. It's dreadful. I wish it was legal. But exactly, making noise. I mean, making noise. It's this. It's a sad world, Bob. We live in where a lot of people find it a source of amusement to have loud noises. Loud noises, per se, are a source of enjoyment for some people. Anyway, all right, well, thank you very much, Bob, for having me, and I will talk to you next week. And on Twitter and on Instagram, and we got a new book coming out. I'll talk about it next week. Well, okay, that will just about do it for this week, and have a happy Fourth of July. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, life, life, grill vegan burgers, grill vegan hot dogs and veggies, and liberty for all animals, and uh, the pursuit of happiness. Well, listen to Radio Bobby and turn it up to drown out the fireworks that freak out the dogs and cats in your family. Have a good week, and uh, we'll talk again next week again. Uh, please support the program. You can donate at GoVeganRadio.com. Find the donate button there. You can become a subscriber via Patreon, um, and we uh, greatly appreciate your support. Remember, we are at GoVeganRadio.com, on Twitter at GoVeganRadio, Facebook, GoVeganRadio with Bob Linden, and we're also on Facebook and Twitter with Radio Bobby, um, at Radio Bobby Music. Thanks for listening. Talk again soon.